Please turn in God's Word to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing in our series, studying the Sermon on the Mount. And we're in Matthew 5, and we're going to be reading verses 21 to 26. So listen, this is God's Word. Oh, I'm in Mark 5. That did not look right. (laughs) You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Well, the Pixar movie Inside Out is about a girl who moves with her family from the Midwest to San Francisco. And the movie is all about the different emotions that she's dealing with in regards to this move. There is joy, there is disgust, There is fear, there is sadness, and then there is the emotion anger, and they depict these emotions as individual creatures, I guess, in her mind. And throughout the movie, you see the emotion anger having a variety of outbursts where he literally turns into a flame when he is frustrated. One particular moment was when they arrived in San Francisco, they're tired, Things have not gone well for them in their move. Riley, she's not excited about living in San Francisco. She misses her friends back home. And they order pizza for dinner. Comfort food, something that's familiar for Riley. But the pizza comes served with broccoli. And the emotion anger reacts and shouts, Congratulations, San Francisco. You have ruined pizza. Well, possibly you also express anger at broccoli on your pizza or pineapple on your pizza. Or maybe it isn't pizza toppings that make you angry. But I know there is something that gets your goat. Maybe it's the customer service helplines that you find to be anything but helpful. Maybe it's while driving and you get stuck behind a slow driver and you cannot pass them. Or maybe it's your laptop. You did all this work. Maybe it's an assignment for uni, or maybe it's a sermon for church. You can't find it. It didn't save. Or maybe there's someone who simply drives you crazy. You've no patience for them. You don't get them. Or maybe for some of you young people yesterday, it's a referee on the basketball court who won't call out the other team when they make a mistake. Whatever 
or whoever it is, we all struggle with anger. It's not that far from even the most mild manner of us. And we see from our passage that it is serious. And so I want you to notice your every moment of anger makes you a murderer and so liable for judgment. But in Christ, you know reconciliation. And so in him, you can reconcile even with your greatest enemy. So firstly, realize that in your anger, you have committed murder, verses 21 and 22. So in our last study, we considered how Jesus said that he did not come to destroy or abolish the law, but fulfill the law. However, in his discussion here of the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, it sounds like Jesus is changing the law. It appears that he's quoting the Old Testament and then makes changes. But when Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, most obviously at his temptations in the wilderness, he would say, it is written. And then he would quote from the Old Testament. But notice here he does not do that. Instead, he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. This is not Jesus quoting from the Old Testament law. Instead, this is Jesus quoting from Jewish tradition, from the teachings of the Pharisees. And so Jesus continues to uphold the law, just not the traditions that the Pharisees were deriving from the law. And what the Jewish rabbis were doing, what the Pharisees were doing, was they were trying to narrow down what exactly the sixth commandment was teaching and commanding. Ferguson writes, the law forbids murder, but it was characteristic of the theologians then, as now, to ask, exactly what does this mean? When is murder really murder? And so you can imagine the Pharisees and the scribes trying to put conditions on this commandment. We do the same thing. We look for the get-out clause. We try to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. That's too black and white in its application. Jesus does the very opposite. Instead of restricting the law, he widens it to include angry thoughts and our angry words. And so the application of this commandment is not only to the physical act of killing someone, but you commit murder when you think about it or when you say it. Now, obviously, the seriousness of the sin differs if you physically murder someone compared to thinking murder in your heart. But Jesus' point is that they are both still wrong. Now, there are cases of righteous anger. So not all anger is bad. Some translations include this phrase, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Sometimes there is a just cause to be angry. And we see Jesus demonstrating this when he cleared the temple. He was angry with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were leading the people astray. And so there are times when anger is the right response. And Luther calls righteous anger an anger of love, one that wishes no one any evil, one that is friendly to the person but hostile to the sin. But that's not the anger that Jesus is talking about in this passage. Instead, this is an anger that comes from a heart that's full of hatred and bitterness and pride, an anger that is seeking revenge to bring the other person down, to wish the other person dead. 
Stop, rise, anger, and insult are ugly symptoms of a desire to get rid of somebody who stands in our way. So you're angry because someone is getting in your way, and you want your own way. And so to get it, you want that person gone. John very explicitly tells us what anger is. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So realize that in your anger, you have committed murder. Well, secondly, your angry speech is deserving of God's judgment. So we read of particular insults. Raka, that is to insult someone's intelligence. It is to say that he or she is empty-headed, a numbskull, a nitwit, while a fool, that comes from the Greek word moron, and we use both of these words today to insult someone, that speaks of someone's lack of morals. Often the fool is used to describe the person who doesn't believe in God, who lives in a rebellious way of life. A.B. Bruce writes, Raka expresses contempt for a man's head, you stupid. Fool expresses contempt for his heart and character, you scoundrel. Now, Jesus is not saying that you are to live in denial of reality. There are difficult people in our lives, people of little reputation. It is right to be wary of them. And I don't think Jesus is saying that these particular insults of raka or fool are more insulting compared to other insults that are out there. Instead, it is the attitude that is behind these insults. It is our desire by using these insults to bring people down, it's to control them, it's to bully them. And even when we think we are saying, or what we're saying is right, it's often done out of gossip. It's often done to cause harm. And your speech can have significant consequences. You can destroy someone's reputation. That's why Jesus describes it as murder. Hateful speech can cause much damage. We often use the phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me simply not true. No wonder James says in James 3, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. We try to justify our anger. We try to say, it's not a big deal. Everyone gets angry from time to time, just letting off steam. Well, anger has serious consequences. It also has serious consequences for the one who is angry. Jesus here speaks of judgment and of hellfire. And that's because our speech reveals something about us. It demonstrates a heart that is not bright. Maybe you've seen those videos of passengers on airlines and they simply lose it. They let out these terrible tirades full of venomous words at the flight attendants. They even have to be physically removed from the plane. They're angry with complete strangers. And while I hope none of us would behave in that way, how do we behave with those who are closest to us? To our family, to our children, to our spouses. 
I was talking to a friend this past week who was described, was described in getting angry at the kids when they do something wrong, but the anger was more than what was necessary. And he described how his wife came alongside and put her hand on his shoulder and gently asked, is everything okay? When anger bubbles up within you, it's a warning sign that something's not right. It's like the check engine light on your car dashboard. You need to do something about it. And Jesus tells us why in Matthew 15. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Anger is a demonstration of a heart that is defiled, a heart that is dead, a heart that is condemned to just judgment. John Stott writes, anger and insult are equivalent to murder, but so also the punishment is likewise the judgment of hell. That's why anger is so serious. God does not take it lightly, and nor should you. So when you find yourself tempted to rehearse in your mind the perfect put-down to that person who's hurt you, realize that's seriously wrong. Or maybe you have no intention of saying it out loud, but you simply enjoy playing it over and over again in your head. That is wrong. When you're tempted to explode, maybe you've been taught you're not to bottle it in, you're to let it out. That you have to be true to yourself, be true to your feelings. That will help you process it. No, that is simply a lack of self-control. You are to control it. And when you don't exercise self-control and are angry, you're guilty. Now, anger will not make you guilty in a human court, but we see in God's court, you will be found guilty. And ultimately, it's his court that matters. And so your angry speech and your angry thoughts, they are deserving of God's judgment. But thirdly, and I've changed this slightly from what you have in your outline, it is necessary in being reconciled to God that you're reconciled with others. Verses 23 and 24. So Jesus, he gives a couple of illustrations here to demonstrate his point that anger is to be taken seriously. And he teaches us what we are to do instead. Ferguson writes, here Jesus is showing us that when an activity is forbidden in God's word, its positive counterpart is commanded. Paul does something similar in Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. So instead of anger and murder, how can you live at peace with your brothers and your sisters? So the first illustration is for you to see the necessity of being reconciled with the one you have a broken relationship with. And that's because if you're reconciled to God, you should not have broken relationships with others. The first illustration speaks of one going up to the temple to offer a sacrifice. So for us today, it's like coming here to church, offering your sacrifice of praise. And you are to imagine during the service that you are convicted, that there is a fellow believer that you are not in the right relationship with. There is hurt. That fellow believer has a grievance against you. And Jesus is saying, you are to put it right. It's wrong for you to continue in your worship of God all the while, 
you have these broken relationships. Sadly, there are many believers who will simply not forgive. They're unwilling to let go of the hurt or the grievance that caused a particular relationship to go sour. Like how the psalmist described it, they've cherished this sin within their hearts. And yet they expect to know God's forgiveness. They expect to be reconciled to God, even though they have committed much greater sins against God. And so we see the hypocrisy there. Now, I don't think this verse is saying in the middle of the service, you have to have it resolved or that you can't go to church until the relationship is restored. But it is saying when you have been convicted of sin, you must make the effort to restore the broken relationships in your life. There must be the opportunity to say sorry and for forgiveness to be granted. Now, that doesn't mean the hurt will be removed. Forgiveness is a process when it comes to broken human relationships. The relationship will never be the same again for that trust has been broken. But the danger is the unwillingness to do anything about it. 1 Peter 3 speaks about the relationship between a husband and a wife. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. That your prayers may not be hindered. In a marriage, you are to work at your relationship. You are to be patient. You are to be gentle. We see one of the reasons why is that your prayers may not be hindered. It's not comfortable coming to God when you are angry with someone else. You know it's not right. First, you need to be reconciled. You need to ask your brother or sister for forgiveness. Then you can come and worship God. But when you hold onto anger in your hearts, God will not listen to your prayers. No, you must repent of that sin of anger by reconciling with your brother and sister for God to hear you. Well, fourthly, you are to urgently reconcile with others as any delay will only make it worse. So the next illustration is in regards to someone who you could describe as your enemy. So you're to imagine two men on their way to court to settle a dispute, and they're arguing on the way. And Jesus is saying how, saying to settle it now before you enter the courtroom, for it will only get worse. For when it gets to the court, the judge will put one man in prison, and then that man is unable to pay anything back. And so you're to see that both sides, they end up losing. And maybe you're a fan of legal dramas, and it always looks very cut and dry. There's always a clear and obvious winner or victor. But what we don't see is that it is costly for both sides. Rarely is there a winner. And Jesus is saying, you are to deal with it urgently, or it will get worse. So if you're in the middle of a broken relationship, don't delay in reconciling. Too often we don't reconcile because we want something that we will never get. Maybe it's to undo the hurt that was caused. That hurt and that pain can't be undone. No amount of anger will quell the pain inside of you. You're to see it's not worth it. And there are many people who have faced atrocities, terrible atrocities, 
even losing loved ones, but they have learned how to forgive. Now again, it's not that their friendship can be restored to how it once was, but it is letting go of that anger. For if you don't let go of that anger by forgiving, the hurt will only deepen. And so if you fall out with someone, quickly resolve it. There should be no delay. Deal with it quickly. You have to see that you have a ticking time bomb on your hands. We want to say, it won't get worse. But often it does. More and more hurt is then read into it. There's awkwardness. There's avoidance. In families with broken relationships, there are missed birthdays and Christmases and weddings and other special events. And this only causes the hurt to get deeper and deeper. Paul says in Ephesians 4, do not let the sun go down in your wrath. This is often counsel given to newlyweds. But this counsel is for everyone. There should be an immediacy in re reconciling broken relationships or in letting the sun go down and letting time pass. It becomes harder to know what the original issue even was. And instead, it becomes more about holding on to anger. So urgently reconcile with those you have fallen out with. Fifthly and finally, in Christ you know reconciliation. And so in him you can reconcile with even your greatest enemy. How do we control our anger? There are techniques like counting to ten before you even speak, or you use a punch bag to work out your anger, or you write up a letter with all your complaints and then you tear it up. Now, while all these have their place, they may even help, but they are only a way to vent your anger. They leave you exhausted because they don't help in the long term. They only offer short-term relief. Now, we need something more. John Stott says if we want to avoid committing murder in God's sight, we must take every possible step to live in peace and love with all men. And this peace only comes through Christ. Matthew 6, 14, if, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You know forgiveness of your sins. You know how costly that was. Christ had to endure the wrath of God on the cross so your sins would not be counted against you. This is the wrath that you rightly deserve. But Jesus took that wrath and anger on himself. He was destroyed so you would not be. And so you are to forgive others as the Lord forgive you. So remember who you are. You are God's children. You have been given new hearts, hearts that anger should never find a place in. Instead, you are to make every effort to live at peace with others by showing mercy to them. So don't have a mindset of superiority, thinking you're better than others. Don't think, how dare they insult me? I don't need them. No, humble yourself. Remember who you once were, and yet God loved you. He loved you to forgive you. And so you will do the hard and costly thing of loving and forgiving those who have wronged you. And in Christ, there can be reconciliation between the greatest of enemies, whether it's Jew and, Ar and Arab, whether it's Protestant and Catholic, whether it's white and black, whatever it might be, God can bring together the most unlikeliest of people 
because we were once enemies of God, and yet in Christ we have been reconciled to God, and so in Christ we are reconciled to each other. So recognize that your every moment of anger makes you a murderer, and so you're liable for judgment. In Christ you know reconciliation, and so in him you can reconcile even with your greatest enemy. I was reading recently the story of a man named Joe Avila. Joe Avila was a drunk driver who killed a teenage girl, Amy Hall, on the freeway. And after the accident, he fled the scene. He does not even remember that night. But he does remember what happened afterwards. He was arrested for second-degree murder at the Fresno County Jail. And in the days that followed, he was overcome by what he had done. He says, I was just looking for a way to kill myself. I was afraid, I was angry, I was sad. And while preparing for his murder trial, Joe checked into a six-month sobriety program with the Salvation Army. And Joe writes that God put some people in my life who made me understand what reconciliation was and what forgiveness was. And a few months into his program, he changed his plea to guilty. And although Joe expressed remorse and went to rehab, the judge still had little faith that Joe had changed, that he had been saved from his alcoholism, and he sentenced him to the maximum time in prison of 12 years. And throughout his time in prison, Joe went to chapel. He shared the gospel with his fellow prisoners. And after he was released, he met the family of Amy Wall, the girl who he had killed. First her brother, then her father, and finally her mother each time asking forgiveness for what he had done. And when he had met with Amy's mom, she had asked him to watch a three-hour video of Amy's life before their meeting. He writes, I really got to know Amy that night, how precious she was and what a tragedy happened when I took her life. Joe admits it was painful to seek forgiveness from the walls, but he knew God could use the situation for his glory if he did. And later, he was involved with Amy's brother at an event organized by the Restorative Justice Council to speak of what had happened and the forgiveness that had ensued. And the night of that event, Amy's father approached Joe, hugged him, and said, I love you, Joe. I killed his daughter, Joe said, and he was able to give me a hug and say, I love you. That is the work of Christ's reconciliation, that this man could be reconciled to even this family who... Uh, he had killed their daughter. Who have you to reconcile with? So recognize your every moment of anger makes you a murderer and so liable for judgment. But in Christ you know reconciliation. And so in him you can be reconciled to even your greatest enemy. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have to admit that each one of us, we struggle with anger. Too often we rage at what or who we cannot control. Forgive us, Father. Help us not to think that it doesn't matter, that it's not serious. No, you've called it murder, deserving of judgment. And so help us instead be quick to reconcile. For in knowing your forgiveness, help us then to be quick to forgive others. And we ask for your help. We ask for your strength to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, let's turn in our psalm book to Psalm 94a. Psalm 94a, the psalm speaks of God's judgment on evildoers and those who are murderers. And when we face offense and insult, you do not need to be angry. But you can trust God and his justice that he will repay those for their wrongdoing. And when you're in the wrong, we can give thanks for Christ who took our judgment on himself so we can be reconciled to God. So stand and sing Psalm 94a. <laughs> 